Welcome to Status. I'm here with Jude Shehab, who is a Lebanese-American filmmaker whose early career work has landed awards, screenings, and film festivals worldwide. Her credits include collaborations with Refinery29, She Said Films, The Players' Tribune, Oxfam GB, and Doctors Without Borders. She was part of Abbas Kirastomi's last student group in Cuba, where she worked on a piece under his guidance. She was part of the North Star Residency at CIFF and is both a CAM and Next Doc Fellow. Jude's richly visual and intimate personal shooting style has illuminated issues close to her heart, including the refugee crisis and female empowerment. She has recently worked as a DP on films in Somalia, Sudan, and Pakistan, and as an AP on Sesame Street's newest show for Syrian refugees. Jude is currently in early production on her first feature documentary, based in Lebanon and supported by IDA, ITVS, TFI, and Sundance. She is based between NYC and Beirut. Hi, Jude. Thank you so much for being with us today. Um, I guess I wanted to start with you just telling us a little bit about your life before Tuesday, August 4th, the day of the explosion in Beirut. First of all, thank you for having me. I think as the people, even before, I mean, we were going through a lot of things. Lebanon's been going through a lot for the past eight to nine months. I mean, in October, we had the revolution, and then we had the forest fires, and then we had the pandemic, um, which is ongoing, of course, and the economic crisis. The Lebanese pound has almost no value anymore. The government not giving us electricity only two hours a day into this. So I think before it, there was, you know, this feeling of hopelessness in the air. And then this kind of was the last straw. For me personally, I've been in Lebanon since November. I'm working on a documentary here, and I kind of got stuck here during the quarantine and the lockdown, which was good for the film, for sure. And But that was where I was putting all my energy. And then once the explosion happened on Tuesday, I mean, it's just been... These past five days, we've barely been sleeping. I mean, we start from the morning working to give aid, and then at night we're going to the protests. I mean, it's just been like nonstop and it feels like I haven't even taken a second to process all of it. And and can you tell us a bit about the day of the explosion on Tuesday, August 4th? I was at a cultural center called El Macan. It's my mom's cultural center. It's facing my house. I was actually on a Skype call with someone in the U.S. for the documentary and all of a sudden the windows started to shake and, and, and it feels really surreal when it's happening and it came as two different explosions, right? So it started to shake in the beginning and I started to look around. I remember even the woman on Skype was like, wait, are you okay? And then the doors that had the windows on them, that had the glass on that were shaking, just burst open and the glass exploded. Um, and I remember just throwing my computer and the lights turned off and I just ran because I knew my mom was in there and we had a couple other girls that were in the space and we, we didn't know what was going on. Also, because we don't have electricity, you know, we thought that maybe the generator exploded because the generator's mm-hmm. been running for so long and maybe it's overheating. And so I was like, okay, the generator exploded. But then we looked outside and I remember I saw two women hugging each other and crying. So I was like, okay, the generator could have exploded because that's too far away. And then we said, oh, it's an earthquake. And then I remember my dad, my dad came running down and then he was, I had asked him like, what is it? What is it? And what's interesting is that the minute it happens, you're hoping that it's not an attack. I just, I was thinking the whole time, I was like, I hope it's just an accident. I hope it's an accident. I hope it's an accident because I was here in 07 when the Israeli war happened. And I remember how it all started. And it was, it started something like this, right? Like there was this attack and then we knew the next couple months, like that's what it was going to look like. And so the whole period afterwards was, we just sat in the middle of the house worried that, you know, another explosion would come. And so 
just sat there kind of figuring out, you know, who did it, what's going on, um, what exactly happened. And then, you know, it just slowly goes from, okay, it was a bomb to, you know, an Israeli attack to this explosion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as you get information. That it was accidental. Was there any kind of relief in that? Or like, what was your feeling as, you know, it became clear what actually happened? I think there wasn't relief because I think the stakes are just as high in both cases. I think it's an internal war, right? Like that's, that's what it kind of felt like at that point was, you know, maybe, maybe it's not clearly Israel attacking us, but you know, the negligence of the government um, that let this happen and knowing what's going to come next, even, you know, like yesterday, the protests were incredibly violent. And so it's like knowing that it could still ignite a civil war, complete unrest, Mm -hmm. as we know it, of course, changing again and again. And can you tell us then about the protests? Like, how have these two days been? Where have you been in the city? Um, pretty much centered on Martyr Square from the images I've seen. But, you know, you're there. So tell us what it's been like. Yeah. So yesterday was the process that we went down to. And the morning we had spent, you know, doing the aid work, going down to visit the affected areas and visiting families and trying to evacuate them. And then at four o'clock, they had called for everyone to go down to the square And we had heard news before we went that the um, police were already releasing tear gas, but we still decided to go down. We're like, okay, we'll stay on like the outskirts. We won't go like right next to the parliament. But it was really intense. It was really overwhelming. I mean, I was very emotional when we went down because you're seeing thousands of people flocking down and people from all walks of life. You're really feeling like these protesters are mourning and seeing people that were injured. You see that they still have, you know, their wounds tied that were injured just a couple of days ago. And it really feels like, you know, in the Middle East, you don't get time to process your trauma. Aftercare doesn't exist. You know, you have to be at the front line screaming for justice because no one else will do that for us. And and so it was very emotional seeing everyone down there when, you know, we had just gone through that. And then also seeing how the police reacted to it. I mean, they shot live bullets on a people that were just hit with an explosion four days ago. The police officer who's hitting a protester, who's shooting at a protester, you know, do they not have family that were killed the other day, you know, or, or were injured? Were you, were you not, how are you not affected by this? And how are you shooting at your own people? And so it was devastating. Once again, realizing this government is not our government, um, hearing everyone, you know, cursing out every single politician's name. It, yeah, it was, it was overwhelming. You were at the protests last year? I came towards the end of October. So I came for like the last part of it. Yeah, I mean, it felt it felt like that. I wasn't there in the beginning, you know, but I, I kind of came when everything, when they start, they started to shut us down, when people, when they started to become violent and really trying to wrap things up. And then slowly but surely, you know, it ended. Is, was there a similarity in the way there, I guess, things escalated, you know, on the side of the police, like the violence they use seems to be pretty immediate. Do you yeah. sense a similarity or difference between their reaction to this protest versus last year's? I think... I mean, the energy yesterday just felt like, I mean, the fact that we were going down at 3 p.m. and they had already started to release tear tear gas, you know, like usually there's some lead up until that moment. So it was very clear that they're trying to stop us in every way possible. And also, you know, they were they were blocking roads leading to the affected areas, preventing volunteers from accessing certain areas that we needed to get down to. And so it felt very clear that they knew that that everyone was going to go down and that they wanted to stop it right away. Can you tell us about this group of people you're working with? How did it, how did this all get together and start for you? 
So the space that I was in when it happened is called Al Makan, which means literally the space in Arabic. And it's a space that my mom runs. It's right next to our house. Uh, she teaches at the American University, but this is like where she actually, <laughs> what she's actually passionate about. And it's, it's a woman's space. It's, it's for a woman to come in and like you, and you have all these different rooms and you have your workshop space, your library, etc. We have movie nights. There's just different programs that in an area in Beirut that doesn't have something like that. It's an area called Mardias that does not have access to art and to a certain extent. We have different people that come to the to the Macan that reached out and said, you know, we want to do something. And, and automatically, you know, I had posted something on my Instagram story and said, you know, we're, we're raising funds to help support people that have damaged houses and that are in need right now. And it's been incredible. I mean, like I said, like I can't even process what's happened in the last four or five days. You know, we thought we'd raise like a couple thousand dollars that we can put to good use, but we've raised like tens of thousands of dollars so far. And it's been really incredible to just see how we can organize and mobilize in that way. And also I think that what people really love about it is we're all going down. Every single dollar that people are spending and donating, being very transparent about, it's very clear where the money's going. You know, we, we were going down to Carantina, which is an area that's directly affected from the explosion. It faces the port. We're visiting the families in those houses, helping them evacuate, getting them rent money, clothes, food. I mean, their house is completely destroyed. They, they're starting from zero again. So just aiding in that way. Also, care packages. Today, we put together a bunch of sanitary boxes as well as like baby boxes with diapers and milk and just figuring out how to do this. What's interesting is like we all don't know how to do this. You know, like it really is grassroots. It's really like these people coming together that are like, okay, we want to help. How are we going to do it? And every day we're learning how best to do it. And I think that we're starting to finally have some kind of structure and it's moving smoothly. But I think it's powerful because it's, it really is people that are just hurting for their country and for their city and that want to make a difference. Mm-hmm. And are these people then that were already involved with El Macan or are these, you know, people that you, you didn't even know before coming together? Like, I think it's half-half. So there's, yeah, definitely people that have been coming to El Macan. And then you have a lot of people off of Instagram that have just been like, we want to volunteer. How can we get involved? That have just been seeing the work that we're doing. And I think that's also really powerful is that like everything's being documented. Yeah. And I'm like a daily work, like every hour, I feel like someone's messaging saying, you know, how can we help? What can we do? And luckily we have this space. So like all the organizing is happening here. How do you organize your efforts? I'm sure the neighborhoods affected are many. Like, how are you, is there a strategy to how you're, you're organizing around this? I know you said this is a first time kind of yeah. thing for a lot of you. What's interesting is like, it's all just kind of come like I, if we've asked for it and it just comes, I don't know how to explain it, but you know, we went down to Carantina ourselves. You know, we, we knew that there was a mosque that was completely damaged. They wanted to have Friday prayer. We started to clean that up. And then someone came to us and said, you know, oh, there's a house here that needs X, Y, and Z. And then we went to that house and visited. And then we checked out 15 houses in the area and mm. we spoke to them and we documented everything. And then we started to realize, you know, also there's a lot of aid going into those three, four neighborhoods that are directly surrounding the port. But, you know, there's neighborhoods near El Macan, for example, where everyone in this neighborhood is ga- glass is gone, doors shattered. But, you know, they don't they work as like vegetable sellers. And right now with the economic crisis, they're not going to have the means to repair their windows and winter's coming. And then you worry about rainfall. And so it's like we're also trying to target areas that we know aid is not going to come into. Yeah, so it's just kind of been like working like as we go. <laughs> Has there been any collaboration with other organizations or any plans to, like the Lebanese Red Cross? Not with the Red Cross, with other local organizations that we know of. So, for example, we know of an organization named Ajaluna, 
who are directly working with rebuilding, which is a project that is too big for us. You know, we cannot like that needs big amounts of money, but they've been an organization that's been running on the ground for a while now. And so what we've been doing is when we go to those houses that have like their ceilings have fallen down, we redirect them to Ajiaduna. And so we're collaborating in that way with also other organizations because we have people donating um, a shipment of shampoo and sanitary items. And it's like, this is going to be a huge shipment where we don't, we have a, we're starting to have like a list of where we identified families in need, but you know, do we have to that extent? Not yet. And so just kind of, we are connecting with organizations that are local um, and on the ground have been working on the ground for a while. How about international help? Have there been groups that have reached out to you or, you know, besides individuals willing to donate? There has been certain groups. I think it's more small scale. It's people that like, yeah, they're fundraising in their small circles, but not not just people like as like a, a little group or community. It's definitely more small scale, I would say. And I guess I wanted to ask you personally, like, what's kind of been the most challenging part about all this? I have no idea what this could possibly be like. Yeah, of course, everything that we're seeing and seeing, like, the destruction of the city, the city that I love so much. And I think just on a personal level, you know, I'm I'm privileged. I have an American passport. You know, I grew up in America half of my life and then in Lebanon. And I think that when I take a step back and I process everything, right, the going down to the protests, seeing lack of hope and then feeling ho- and then feeling hopeful for a minute and then hopeless again. And then also seeing the humanitarian work. I mean, the constant thing that you get from people in Lebanon, like my parents, for example, is leave already. Like the minute the explosion happened, my parents are like, you need to leave. And I don't want to leave. And so I think on a personal level, like the challenging thing is trying to maintain this level of energy and wanting to work towards this country that you you put a lot of work in. I mean, the October Revolution was very difficult on everyone. And then it just kind of disappeared, you know, and, and, and wanting to work towards Lebanon and wanting to have hope and being scared that, you know, there is nothing to have hope for and putting all of this work in on, on the protest side. I mean, and just hoping for some sort of change. I don't want to have to leave. I love Lebanon so much, you know, like this is, this is where my ancestors are from. This is where my grandfather lives. Like I'm so attached to this land, but you're always feeling like you're being forced out. You're being pushed out and you're always, you're meant to feel you don't have a future here. And I think that's just the reality of it. And so what are your hopes for the coming months politically? Like some people, some MPs are stepping down. Like, is there anything you hope is going to come out of this uh, politically, I guess? It was interesting this morning when people started to resign. uh, I asked a lot of people around me at McCann and just kind of said, like, do you feel hopeful? Do you feel like change is coming? And it was very 50-50. Some people feel hope. Some people have seen this before. The only hope that we could ever have, and I've heard this growing up from my father all the time, is that the entire, all political parties resign. And, and I think that that's true because, you know, every political party is being attacked at the moment. Even yesterday, every single name of each politician was cursed out, you know. And these are the people that were protesting. And so I think that to actually have any concrete change would be for for all of them to resign, take some credit, you know, hold them responsible. It has to be at that higher level. Right now, the people that are resigning as well, it doesn't mean anything because they're not the higher up political officials that are still in power. Do you envision your filmmaking being part of this movement, you know, on the arts front, kind of? Do you have any, are you having any ideas or right now, you know, I understand you're in the in the middle of this right now it felt on hold for this week i think once you know we just kind of breathe for a second it can come back up and i think that even it works with you know even the documentary that i have been making it's about my family and about three generations of women and seeing my mom down at the protests has been really powerful and so i think that it can definitely come into play and i think it's 
incredibly important right now. Like these are our stories, of course, our images, and to not also sensationalize images of the Middle East, you know, and and really talk about our own personal stories. Like this documentary is incredibly intimate. So I feel like I could do it on that front. Great. I wanted to leave, you know, the end of our conversation open for anything that you want to say or, you know, definitely share your email address for donations, your Instagram, also your website for people to check out your work as well. So this is kind of an open space for you to do that, please. Okay. You're so kind. Yeah, I think maybe I'll end with saying that maybe before Tuesday, I was not political in Lebanon at all, I guess. Maybe most of it was because I, you know, I grew up in the U.S. and I'm so in touch with those politics. And my dad's just kind of always been like, there's no point of getting into what's going on in Lebanon. Nothing will ever change. So I always had that energy. And all of a sudden now I'm like on CNN, with CNN interviews and BBC and they're introducing me as a political activist. So I find it so interesting that, you know, <laughs> I am a filmmaker and that's what I go by. But I think they really, they, they do go hand in hand. Yeah, and I feel like it's just been like this, incredible push like something pushed me to go into like the humanitarian work all of a sudden went into that I don't know it's just it's feel it felt like this whole thing that just came together on all different aspects of my life yeah and if anyone we would be incredibly grateful if you supported the work that we're doing on the ground in Lebanon Uh, my paypal is jude.shahab at gmail.com so it's j-u-d-e-e dot c-h-e-h-a-b at gmail.com my Instagram is my first name and my last name. And you can see we're very transparent. You can see all the work and everywhere that your money is going on my Instagram. Yeah, and, and I hope it's a small effort, but I think it can do a lot of good for the beautiful country of Lebanon. Thank you so much, Jude. Um, we hope to have you again on this show and, you know, talking about your work and definitely, you know, hope that Lebanon, you know, will be on the good path at that point when we talk again. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Status Audio Magazine. The Status is produced by the Arab Studies Institute in partnership with Voices of the Middle East and North Africa, co-sponsored by George Mason University's Middle Eastern Studies Program and the American University of Beirut's Asfari Institute for Civil Society and Citizenship. Interested in pitching an interview? A program episode or becoming a partner, email our associate producer Paola Messina at paola at statushour.com. To listen to more conversations, on the scene reports, and discussions, visit our website statushour.com or subscribe via iTunes and listen to us on the go. You can also friend us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Thanks for listening, and for more conversations, please visit statushour.com.